Let's open our Bibles together and look at Mark's Gospel, chapter number 13. Let's stand for the reading of the Word, please. Mark 13, verse number 32. Jesus is answering a question about his return. He is coming back. He came the first time, and he came right on time, and he'll be on time when he comes back. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And when I say to you, I say to all, watch. Father, you planned our lives and you planned time. And we recognize the brevity of life, recognize that time has a beginning and time has an end that your return will put an end to time as we know it once and for all. So help us to live out our lives in this time that you've given us, to discern the times, to be observant of the time. Holy Spirit, help us to see and to hear where we are in our culture today. And grant us an overwhelming victory. Help us not to fall asleep or to close our eyes and to fail to be watchful. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is our leader who spoke these words, Jesus himself. He's giving us insights and clues about his return. How do we discern the times that we're living in? And how many know we're living in very unusual times? One thing we must remember, we cannot afford distraction, but we must watch. And he commands us, the master does, to be watchful, to watch, pay attention to. As King Solomon reviewed his life and the mistakes he made, he began to lament. And he said these words, they made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. He'd been involved in so many distractions. His family came unraveled. They were destroyed. His own backslidings contributed to the failures of his own children. He said, I was placed over the responsibility for others' vineyards, but I did not keep my own. See, God gives us responsibilities for others, and we are accountable, no doubt. But one cannot be a leader in the church if he does not carefully control his own life. To guard and watch one's own life. To the elders at Ephesus, Paul wrote this, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And then he wrote these words, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others I myself should become disqualified. Imagine that after you've done well in your walk with the Lord or in ministry, you're asked to stand down. You're disqualified. 
to lead others, but take little heed to oneself where you reach the place where God says you're disqualified. Stand down. Behold, Jesus said, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. So God has a work and a purpose, and he's placed you here on earth for that work and for that purpose. And he has a crown for you as a reward for doing what he called you to do. But if you don't do what he's called you to do, his kingdom will still advance, but he'll have to replace you with someone else. He said, don't become disqualified and be told to stand down and allow somebody else to take your crown. I don't want Jesus to ask me to stand down because, you see, I can lose in my life and lose in my living and miss the will of the Lord because I've become loose about things that should continue to be straightforward in my walk with the Lord. Amen? I don't want to be loose in the way I live. Many people are engaged in battles, and when the heat of the battle begins, they drop out. They fade away. They don't last for the long haul. They're not long-distance runners. They quit when they get a little bit fatigued or tired or a little bored. They're not strong all the way until the end of the battle. They start missing church services. They start slacking in their reading of God's Word. They, they, they are no longer regular in their communion of prayer. You see them, and then you don't see them. They're no longer eager for the things of the Lord. When Joseph revealed himself to his betraying brothers, now he possessed the key to the economy of the world in the midst of a seven-year famine, and he holds the keys to economics And he says to his brothers, now restored to him, go back with this good news and tell the family. And he gave them them this admonishment. He said, see that you do not become troubled along the way. And it means don't get into arguments among yourselves and miss the goal of taking this good news all the way home. Calvary, on your journey home, don't get in arguments and fall out with one another. Take heed to yourselves. And let me admonish everybody here today. Take heed to yourself. Don't live loosely. Be careful what you give your heart to, what you look at, and what you listen to. Take heed to yourself. Don't become loose with your standards and with your morality. It's so easy to smear the lines today because you've got everybody from the leaders on down telling you, Things that you know you shouldn't do are okay to do. To become loose. Before long, there's no longer a difference between the old you and the new you. Many used to serve God. What happened? The enemy is very subtle in his approach. Before you know it, you're self-deceived. That's the worst kind. And he has pulled you away from where God intended you. And, you know, you've seen that. I've seen that. And we're, we're appalled by what we see at times. How, how some have been just drawn away, little by little by little, drawn away from the body of Christ. And they worship on Sunday at their athletic cathedral instead of the house of the Lord. Because that's become God to them. That's become most important to them. That's become, listen, I love 
opportunity to enjoy sports and athletics. But always, always, God is still first. And people did not watch their relationship to the Lord. They didn't watch their relationship in their marriage. They drifted. The family became disjointed and decimated because they didn't watch. And Jesus in my passage is saying to his people, watch. When Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed, he described the seed being sown. And he said, some fell by the wayside. Some fell on stony places. Some fell among thorns. And others fell on good ground. And that, of course, produced great fruit. But three out of four did not survive. Three out of four had the seed planted. Two of them received it, and Satan came, and he snatched the seed away. The third one had the seed choked out of them because of the cares of this life. They allowed those cares to encroach, to grow closely in, and the next thing you know, the good plant with the fruit begin to wither and die. Listen, only one out of the four was good ground and remained productive, not just for a season, but for the long haul. And this is what I'm speaking about. Jesus said three out of four fall by the wayside. Three out of four did not endure and remain strong all the way to the end. It's possible to begin well, to catch fire and go for it, to begin with love in your marriage, but only one out of four may make it. And Jesus is warning us, watch. And this is why these passages speak so powerfully. He says it over and over, watch discern. Look at and understand what you're seeing. And the text I read in the gospel of Mark said, watch. And then Jesus ends the whole statement with these words. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Be alert. It can happen to anybody here. You can fall away. You can lose your family. Be alert. Be careful. Don't play with sin. Paul said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas walked alongside and ministered alongside the great apostle Paul. He served as his apprentice. He was with Paul when he preached these powerful words of the gospel and the message of God. Yet Demas falls away. And if it can happen to Demas, listen to me, because the spirit of the world had such a grip in him. Lust of the eyes, lust lust of the flesh. The pride of life, it sank into him, and it gripped his life in such a way he could not break free. Demas then chose the world over the plans and purposes of God. And the word says, take heed to yourselves. You have kept the vineyard of others, but are you keeping your own vineyard? Jesus said, watch. What do you need to watch? Let's spell that word, W-A-T-C-H. Watch. One of the great mentors I've been blessed to have in my life was going on to be with the Lord, Pastor Glenn Cole. What a great man of God. And what a man I miss. He used to love acrostics in his preaching. He'd take a word, like I'm going to take, and then he'd use each letter of the word to make a point. And that was pretty common with the way he delivered God's word. So I'm going to do that this morning with the word watch, W-A-T-C-H. First, we need to watch W, our words. The W in the word watch stands for words, okay? Because words are powerful. Words can destroy or words can build. 
Words can tear down or words can restore. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believe, believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Jesus emphasizing the importance of articulating, putting it out into the atmosphere. It's important what comes out of your mouth. Watch your words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You're going to eat your words. And if you talk death, if you talk disaster, if you talk defeat, if you talk depression, those are the seeds. Every word is a seed, and it's going out, and it's creating your future. The world you walk out into, the future you walk into is being determined by the words you speak. You can speak death, or you can speak life. You can speak depression, or you can speak joy. You can speak hopelessness, or you can speak faith. It's up to you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Watch your words. If you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. Don't speak everything you feel compelled to speak. Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes the greatest statement you can make is to be silent. Don't just blurt out anything and everything that you think. When Jesus stood before Pilate, the word records that he spoke not a word. See, silence is a great tool. You don't have to defend yourself all the time. If you just shut up, God will defend you. If you'll learn not to give everybody a piece of your mind, but simply stand in truth, God will defend you. Watch your words. And watch the words that come your way sent from the devil. And I'm telling you, Satan will get into your head and tell you things that are not of God. Jesus turned to one of his own that he picked, handpicked, Peter, and he said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God. Because of what he was saying, you have to watch the words that come from the devil. Words like, just give up. Words like, what's the use? Words like, you're never going to be free, or it's never going to happen. I promise you, listen, if you have an addiction, some bondage in your life destroying you, the Holy Spirit will never say to you, you will never be free. He will never utter those words to you. That's the voice of a demon spirit straight out of hell. So watch those words and speak up to that enemy when he speaks to you and say, listen, you're not entering here. I've got another report. I have a report that says to me, I am loved by God. Jesus said his blood for my deliverance. Watch the words that come from the devil. And then there are those who listen to the enemy and think it's God. <laughs> and they get confused, and they think they have a word from the Lord. And here's one of your tests. If what you believe you heard from the Lord does not line up with what God has put in his word written, it's not from God. Okay? Not from God. You can stand on your head and do whatever you want to try to convince people that God gave you a word. If it's contrary to what God says, it's not from God. Do not be deceived. Don't call something one thing and think God's given you the right to do that. 
when his word says no. Watch the words that come your way from other people. They will enter into your spirit and entice you in the wrong direction. They will speak of inferiority. They will torment you. They will seek your defeat. They will turn a beautiful day into a terrible day. All because of the words someone speaks into your spirit. You do not have to make your ears a dumpster. Watch the words that come out of your mouth. We are to speak the words of life. Words that come out of your mouth. Not just the devil or somebody at your mouth. We're to speak the words that agree with God. We're to speak words that God's word has given us to speak over our family. What God says about our families. What God says about our health and bodies. What he says about our lives. What he says about our businesses and our hurts. Listen, God has something to say about how you live life. Speak his word over your life. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. So when God speaks, life is always the result. So if you're going to watch your life, you will have to watch your words. What are you saying to your children? What are you saying to your spouse? Watch your words. Take heed to yourselves. What you're saying matters. Bless those around you. Speak life into your family. Give God something to work with so he can bless your lineage. God will work with your words or Satan will work with your words. So who are you feeding, God or the devil with your words? Second letter in that word watch. A, watch your attitude. Just because bad stuff happens doesn't mean you'd be ticked off all the time. See, Satan has this plan to prevent you from being born again. But if you do become born again, he immediately opts to plan B. And plan B is to make you miserable. So I'm saying to you, when it comes to your children, more is caught than is taught. They're going to catch your attitude. The attitude you have toward God. The attitude you have toward worship. The attitude you have toward the house of the Lord. The attitude you have toward his word, toward life in general. And guess what? They're going to catch it. And one day they're going to look you right in the face and say, that's what you taught me. Good or bad. If you have a positive attitude, your children will face life with a positive attitude. You can be down. You can be beaten down. But like Paul, who said in this fearful circumstance, before a king who could take his life, he said, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. You have to have an up attitude. There are too many children not dreaming big dreams because they are around a negative attitude consistently. You can't do it. You'll never be anything. Watch your attitude. Refuse to be negative, grumpy, complaining, that kind of a person. There's nothing worse than a church of negative, complaining, mean-spirited Christians. That's the worst testimony. Have a good attitude. Tell your neighbor, you need to smile. Tell them. Brighten the world up a little wherever you are. We've got the light of the world in us. 
used to sing it when I was a kid, brighten the corner where you are, brighten up the world where you are. Instead of being one of those that, don't you want to get saved and go to heaven with me throughout eternity? (laughs) No, I don't. Because some students, because of that attitude, some students think all the fun people are going to hell. There ought to be some followers of Jesus with an uplifting, positive attitude. So people will want to be like you. Dreamers and achievers, get up in your attitude. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Ask the Lord, say, I want to just thank you right now for attitude adjustments. Because every now and then we all need them. What was I discouraged about? What was I depressed about? This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. You're alive. You're still breathing. Let the world know who you are. You've got something positive to answer. Amen. The letter T is the third letter in the word watch. Watch your temptations. If you're going to watch your life, you have to watch your temptation because those temptations are coming. And I'm quickened to tell you about this because so many people are being trapped in this culture we're living in because the attitude is everybody's a Christian. Everybody in Yuba City is a Christian. Everybody. Right? That's the attitude. Well, they're good Christians. Really? Never, they never go to church. Ever. Ever. <laughs> Always got time for everything else, but Really? A student went to an 80-year-old man and engaged this 80-year-old Christian in a conversation. And the student asked the 80-year-old man, listen, how how old will I have to be before I won't be tempted? And he replied, I don't know. I just turned 80. (laughs) Understand, as long as you are in a broken body, even coming out of a 21-day fast, there will be temptations. Remember, Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and Satan still was around tempting him. Temptation is still real. You'll be tempted to quit. You'll be tempted to sin. You'll be tempted to look at what you shouldn't look at. You'll listen to what you shouldn't listen to. Tempted to go gambling. Tempted to be unfaithful to your spouse. Tempted by a substance. The Holy Spirit asked me to tell you, watch your temptation. Because they can cost you everything. Over the last few years, there have been more rattlesnake bites than in some decades. It's been an unusual phenomenon across the country. And there are agencies that are tracking this just to keep records. And they begin to look at this and couldn't figure out what, what's causing this. Why are there so many snake bites, especially in more remote areas than there used to be? So they finally did their calculations and figured out some ideas, and here's what they concluded. That wild hogs were imported from Europe decades ago, and these are feral hogs, and they're overbred, and they're everywhere, and they're taking over entire areas. And wild hogs have poor vision, but they can hear very well. And they've developed an immunity to rattlesnakes, so they eat them. And what's happened when the hogs would hear a rattlesnake with their excellent hearing Instead of running away, they would head for the snake so they could stomp it, kill it, and then eat it. And now the snakes have started to adapt, according to this study, 
and they're a little slower to rattle. Used to be, you know, you could hear the rattle and it'd be a warning and a human being would run away. But with no warning, you can get a little too close and you'll get bitten. And Ecclesiastes says, whoso breaks a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Sometimes people start breaking down standards. They break down the walls and the hedges and they trample them down and they say, well, I didn't hear any snake. So I'm going to go ahead and trample this and I'm going to go over there and I'm going to do this too. And there was no real consequence to that. You know, I'm going to go party and I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to sleep around with some people and I'm just going to go do this. And you get to thinking nothing is going to happen. I'm going to get away with it. See, what that is, is the snake is cunning. Because the reason you haven't heard him rattle is he's waiting until you step a little bit closer. So he can sink his fang into you and it's too late to attempt to remedy it. I was reading in the paper and I was shocked because all the residents of Yuba City are Christians. And I was reading in the paper that our sheriff's deputies called this anti-drinking and driving program. And Chris, you and I went through this every 15 minutes program when we were getting ready for chaplaincy. And they just had had one of these here in town a couple of weeks ago. And all of a sudden, that's Saturday's party, post-prom party, hundreds of teenagers and alcohol involved. Deputies discovered four unconscious teens. Wow. One mother tried to go get her intoxicated daughter who couldn't get it to the property because there was a gate at the end of the long driveway. And this one was an interesting statement. No arrests have been made. No citations have been issued. Okay. And two to, 200 to 300 teenagers drinking alcohol in barns and open fields. Oh, really? That's kind of cute, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, they're not going to get snake bit. They'll be okay. Snake won't put any poison in them. They may never recover. They may head down a path you'll never be able to reel them back in from. Listen to me. Watch your temptations. Jesus was not wasting words when he used the word watch. Sin is still sin. Death is still death. Even if you don't hear the rattling saying to you, don't go here, it's still wrong. You may feel like nothing is happening, so you can go ahead and continue. You're fine. You can control it. Listen, if it's not rattling, doesn't mean it's not deadly. The serpent is so wise, it just keeps drawing you closer. Well, here's the good news. Jesus Christ was tempted as we are. He has overcome Satan, overcome every addiction, and by his blood, you can be free. Jesus' blood is greater than any temptation. So hear this from a man who has pastored for four decades. Sin will thrill you and then kill you. Sin fascinates and then it assassinates. And nobody gets by with it. Sooner or later, the serpent will bite if the hedge is broken down. So watch your temptations. Every man has a weakness. Every woman has a weakness. You have to know those things and you set up perimeters around your life. There has to be accountability. Let there be nothing on your phone or on your computer or on Facebook that can't be viewed by your spouse or parent. Watch your temptations. 
because the snake is waiting and he is very poisonous. The fourth letter is C. Watch your, and it stands for character. Watch your character. Character matters. Character. Is it character when you leave your obligations unpaid? No. God says pay your vows. When you say you'd like to borrow some money but never pay it back, don't even communicate to the person, I'll take care of this within so many weeks or months. Well, Jehovah Jireh is paying my rent. No, he's not. Whoever you're renting that home from and you haven't made a payment to, it's not Jehovah Jireh. He didn't sign the lease. You did. Well, I'm just going to write a faith check. That's not faith. That's a felony. Okay? (laughs) Character. Character. You do what you say. And no one's perfect, but you don't go out setting out to lie knowingly. You don't deceive. Character. And what's scary is this. When you hear a Christian employer say, a prospective employee is coming, interviewing for a job, and walks in and says, I'm a Christian. And the employer goes, oh boy, no. The employer should say, yes, because Christian employees have been their best employees, the most honest employees, because they're hired to do a job and they do it to the best of their ability. Say, character matters. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was a beautiful lady. And when King Abimelech saw her, he wanted to add her to his harem. Wow, she's gorgeous. Now, she was up in age. And this king had this great harem. Most beautiful women in all the region belonged to his harem. But the king desired Abraham's wife, Sarah, for his wife. And she was in her 90s. How many want that lotion? Huh? And, and Abraham lied to the king out of fear for his own life. And he said, she's my sister. So the king took her and he was about to touch her. And God said to the king in the middle of the night, if you touch her, you're a dead man. Genesis 20 and 3, you are a dead man. And God said this to the king, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning. He said, I know you didn't know all the facts. I know you went about this the way you thought was right, and I kept you. Listen, the message, if you mess up, if you've got integrity in your heart, God will help you work things out. Character is a big deal with God. It's a big deal. Five. Last letter, H. Watch your household. Stands for household. The most valuable thing you have in this world, your spouse and your children. They're worth more than silver, more than gold. They're worth more than anything, any title, anything you could ever possess or earn. There is nothing more precious than my wife and family. And we are called to watch our households. Watch. Watch your family. And dad and mom, it's not your job to be their best friend. That's a cultural concept. That's not a biblical concept. You're first called to be their parent and their teacher and their instructor and the one who is encouraging them to walk in right paths. It's your job to be watchful of them. You see, God gave them to you in trust. 
And just if you haven't thought about it, understand, God created them. They belong to him. You're the steward, and one day he will call you to himself and say, I trusted you with these children. How well did you take care of my property? Listen to me. This is serious stuff. Just having kids and going, I'll let somebody else take care of them. No, 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 no. You now have a stewardship responsibility, and you are to be watchful because he is coming back. I read it to you in the text at the opening part of the message. He is coming back and will call to account. Be determined that your children will be fruitful in the kingdom of God and that hell will not have them. In the name of Jesus. So in Genesis 14, you know, Abraham's family was kidnapped and he seeks the Lord. What do I do? And when he heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed, Abraham did, his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit to rescue his family. David at Ziglag lost his family, and they were stolen, kidnapped. And he goes to God, and God said to David, go after your family, and you shall recover them all. So I'm here to tell someone, according to Acts 16, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Read it aloud with me. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you and your household. Grab hold of that. That's what God desires. Does anybody still believe that today? Do you claim this over your children? See, the enemy will come in with an assault. But if we're watchful and we're praying, there's nothing more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ and a praying father, and a praying mother. And I'm saying to everyone, be watchful of your family. When that boy comes to pick up your daughter, the one that you've loved and raised, this beautiful little girl, you be there and just watch him. Don't smile at him, just look at him. When that teenager comes in from a ball game and they've been out late after the game and they want to get past you before you have a moment to interact and they run hurriedly down the hall to get into their room without you, stop them and say, breathe. (laughs) Smell their breath. Look at their eyes. That's kind of extreme. No, it's not. You're their parent. You are to watch. You are responsible. In this world, it's not extreme. You just look around at the culture, take an immediate assessment, and you'll see that it's not extreme at all to be watching. When the CDC puts out full-page ads saying that both boys and girls need to be be vaccinated against HPV-related diseases, CDC recommends routine vaccination for both boys and girls 11 and 12 years of age. Do you hear what I just read? 11 and 12 years of age. So when a daughter has an STD at age 11, pregnant at 13, no, it's not extreme to take a stand and watch what's going on in the lives of your children. Well, that that sounds like it's a little just too harsh and a little too strong. No, that's biblical. 
You are a biblical father. And this is what the biblical father does. Watches. W-A-T-C-H-E-S. He watches. Because he's a watchman. And his job is to make sure something evil does not grab hold of you and destroy your future. If not, take your life. So you ask questions. Who are these people you're going with? Where do they live? Where's their, what's their phone number? It's a godly parent that does that. Not just, well, go have a good time, honey. No, nothing. All of a sudden, I don't know what happened to my kid. No, because you weren't watching your kid. You're called to be involved in the lives of your children, to watch for their souls. I heard the story of a businessman. He was on a 21-day Daniel fast. And he was a very intelligent guy, loved the Lord, and uh, did very well in business. He's in the middle of a 21-day Daniel fast, and uh, the president of a large corporation that he, the, the man had built himself, the president of the company, and the builder and founder of the company, sent his private jet to pick up this gentleman on the 21-day fast and bring him to a resort where the president of the corporation was. He said, I want a meeting with you. I want to talk to you about a proposal I have and offered this man, this Christian on the 21-day Daniel fast, listen to me, he offered him the vice presidency of his company and said, I'm going to give you this signed $5 million per year contract. It's a five-year contract. Each year you'll be paid $5 million with stocks and retirement, man, you'll be set for life. But I want you to be my vice president. I've heard about you. I've looked over all the materials I, I know about you. So he said, I'll have to, I'll have to think about it and sleep about it. Talk to the Lord about it. So the Christian businessman who was fasting goes to his resort suite, goes to sleep. And he said, in the middle of the night, Jesus came to me. Listen to me. When you're fasting, Jesus will come to you. He'll wake you up sometimes. And he heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to him, and he said, I have you exactly where I want you. Now, if you take this offer, it's your choice. But my perfect will for you is where you are. And he said, in the middle of the night, I received this sweet breeze of God's peace just pass over me, and I went back to sleep at peace. He said, I worshiped and I thanked the Lord. And the next morning I got up and met the president of the company. And I said to him, sir, I'm honored. I can't tell you how honored I am by this offer, but I must decline. This is where God wants me here. See, there are some things money cannot buy. Money cannot buy family. Money cannot buy a good church. Money cannot buy a family raised in truth than serving God in righteousness. Money cannot buy a happy marriage. Sometimes we need to be watchmen because not every opportunity is from God. So never move for money. If God tells you to move, then go. But don't let money be the deciding factor. Let the voice of the Lord be the deciding factor because there are always ramifications you cannot see unintended consequences. So Jesus said, yes, Jesus replied, answering the question, well, if I give everything up to serve you, what's the response, Master? 
Yeah, Jesus replied, I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. So just get ready. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Those are Jesus' words. How many know seeing your family in heaven is a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come? There's nothing that can buy that. There's no amount of money that makes that, that's more valuable than having your family in heaven. Amen? So why don't you stand today and give the Lord some thanks. Come on. Let's just bless the Lord.